Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to be in your house this morning. I thank you, God, for the opportunity to stand in this pulpit, God, and to deliver your word. And I pray, Lord, this morning, Lord, that you would speak, God, a word to all of us, Lord, that, God, that through your holy word, God, that is everlasting upon everlasting, Lord, that you would, God, help us see, Lord, God, the areas in our lives, Lord, where we are making idols, God, the areas in our lives, Lord, where we are, God, holding back, Lord, from how you would have us to live. God, so often as we seek to live for you, Lord, we feel like we might just be adding on more and more, Lord, but when we're truly adding on your kingdom principles, Lord, life slows down, things fall into perspective. And I thank you, Lord, that you are just, you are holy, Lord, but you are a God of peace and comfort as well. And we give you glory. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So this morning, um, I'm going to put up a few pictures. The title of this sermon is uh, Don't Be a Turkey This Thanksgiving. Miss <laughs> um, Kristen, if you would put up the meme. It says, something's up. The farmer just unfriended me on Facebook. And you can go to the one with the, with the uh, yeah, that one, the cows. Um, if you can't see it from the back, there's a bunch of uh, turkeys that are moving at their blind owner who's walking through them with an axe. <laughs> kind of another funny one I found. And then one more, at least for now. Um, yeah, so if you can't read that, it says, there are several that are eating. It says, hey, Frank, what's your problem? Like, if he wanted us dead, he would not be feeding us as well. And the other turkey's packed up and ready to go. He said, I don't care what you say. I'm getting out of here. <laughs> so I know we're all looking forward to Thanksgiving this, this weekend. And unfortunately, just with the nature of society, even though this is a holiday, often many of us are busier on holidays than we are during the week. Or like I just mentioned, pastor going on this trip. Many of us go on trips or vacations or whatever it might be, you know, whether it's Disneyland or you're off hustling about somewhere. And we wind up being more tired when we come back from vacation than when we left. So that's just a product of kind of where we're at in society. And so this morning, I want to talk about several things. Um, This idea of contentment and thankfulness and finding the gaps or the margin, the room for the room for movement in our lives is what I believe is so important. And I have to give inspirational credit to a book that I found out about my last semester at seminary. Um, it's called Margin. It is by uh, Dr. Richard Swinson, who is a medical doctor. Um, super practical and very helpful book. He went into very heavy, heavy practice and how doctors are probably as busy as anyone, but then actually pulled back and kind of had a more uh, fluid schedule and began to write Christian books and some of those kind of things just because of some of the needs he saw um, in the profession that he was in. And so some of the some of the concepts, at least at the beginning of the sermon, are out of this book, and I would definitely recommend um, checking it out on Amazon or whatnot. But this morning, um, we're, I'm going to mention a few things that we all know are obvious facts. Um, he talks about how in this book that we're overloaded in activity, overloaded in change, choice, commitment, debt, decision, expectation, fatigue, hurry, information, media, noise, people possession, technology, traffic, and work. We're overloaded. This book was written in 2004, before the invention of any smartphone device or what you may have so much 
of your time delved into. It was before the invention of Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, Pinterest, Dropbox. Some of you may do DraftKings. I personally don't, but that's a really big thing. Credit Karma, Uber, Lyft, Airbnb, Spotify. Again, any iPhones. The invention of the entire company, Android. And actually, this was just a few years written after the launch of Google. So society, obviously, even at this point, and there's charts in the back that show the exponential increase of all the aspects of society, whether it's mail, obviously email just increases the amount of information we see automatically. But even since this book was written, the principles have increased to be true exponentially, you know, several times over since then. So with that being said, Christian, if you would put up Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30, With all these things in mind, I just kind of wonder, what would the modern reading of this verse look like? Christ said, come to me, all you who are laboring and are heavy laden. Some translations say, weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He goes on to say, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And finally, many of you may know this verse, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Growing up, there was a cassette Bible rap that my mom had that I used to listen to. That verse was there and said, I'm a child of God. Yeah, all right. There's a little Bible rap that we used to do. But we're all, we're all as, the, as the society and technology has increased over time, not only are we weary, heavy laden, and burdened, we're stressed out. We are overrun. Whether you're a single parent whether you have umpteen things going on at work. Those of you that have kids or have had kids, you can look at your neighbor and say, he hadn't seen nothing yet. Because I, you know, it's amazing how we, we went over this in the last semester at seminary, and it was so helpful. But now that I'm out of seminary, somehow I found ways to become much more busier than I was when I was in seminary. And I, and I began to see that this is kind of the nature of life. The older and older we get, the, just the busier we are. We, if we find things to do, we have more responsibilities and youth, young people that haven't hit that yet, it is, it is true. It is unfortunate, and what your parents are telling you is absolutely true. So all these kind of ideas are what is the backdrop for this message this morning. This idea of margin, the name of the book, is defined as the area between your load and your power. So your area between all you have to do and your ability or capacity to do those things. Okay, there's, there's a little gap there. And unfortunately, a lot of us walk around like balloons that are about to pop because we have no margin. We have no room for anything. It's like we get an extra email we weren't expecting and we just blow up with that kind of emotion. It's just like we, we, can't, we can't handle it, right? I mean, so that's, that's, how, that's, how we all, that's how we all go about. But that is not the way God wants us to live. That verse there is absolutely indicative of that. So there's there's four areas, and I'm going to go through this briefly. If you want a full list of items, feel free to come see me. Um, There's a reason I didn't hand out the outline. Chrissy thought it was overload, per se. Um, But there's, there's four areas. Emotional energy, physical energy, time, and finances. Okay, So there's four areas where we just wind up overdoing it. Okay, we walk around and we have no emotional energy. Okay, we, we, 
we give where we can give, but we feel like we're running on empty all the time. I know some people wind up having a pet. Certain things like that can kind of give, you know, additional spots for comfort. But there's more than just that. I mean, there's maybe relationships in your life where you're needing reconciliation. Maybe there's, there's spots where you could wind up serving one another in a better way. Uh, I'm an NC State fan, for those of you that don't know, and a very famous uh, NC State coach um, gave a speech that said, have time to laugh and cry a little bit every day. And, you know, in, in some ways, laughing and crying and, and even just the concept of rest itself will be rejuvenating for us in kind of an emotional capacity. I'm someone that loves to worship. I get so much out of worship. And really, I think it's just kind of a space that we're able to be emotional. We're able to love God. We're able to kind of be real in that moment. And I feel like so often we, for our own fault, we, we run around without that personal, without that intentional space to be real with God. And again, a lot of this is our own doing. You know, I mean, we're, we're, you're able to worship anywhere. It's not just at church. But th- this seems to be kind of the, the trend of society. So, so those, those gaps are very important to me. Uh, so emotional energy, physical energy. Physical energy is something that I'm not going to stand up here and act like I have it all together. If Brother Larry was here, um, he could speak to the working out aspect of, of life. I mean, there's, there's things that you, we need to do as far as eating right and, and working on our physical body that are just so much, you know, better for your life. And, and, and I, I think we all know that to some degree. Um, some of you are nodding. But it's one of those things to where spiritually we can say all the right things, and if we do nothing but eat cheeseburgers, you know, that's going to show, you know, itself very much. If we have zero actual physical activity, um, you know, that, that is something that winds up being very much indicative in our health. Um, sleep is another big one. You know, so, and, and my wife would say would say this, I'm someone who definitely can sleep, but it's one of those things where you have to make sure you're getting the right amount of sleep. You're not oversleeping. You know, if you need a nap, you're like, you know, God's not going to strike you with lightning because you need a nap. You know, that, that, that is okay. Um, finally, time and finances. These are the other two big ones, time and finances. So for time, again, this is so huge. A lot of this is just the nature of technology and TV. Chris and I, thankfully, are able to live without cable, and I'm so thankful for that. Now, we did go over to a friend's house and watch NC State lose last night. Um, but so we, we find times to, you know, to watch certain things that we'd want to watch, and Chrissy has certain streaming things. But so often, if we would just turn off the TV a little bit, you know, and it's, it, it, yes, some of that is having time with God, but some of that's just quieting down some of the noise. We're in a society that is constant noise. And we know often that God speaks in the still, small voice. And if, if he is speaking in that still small voice, and we have lots of other much louder voices constantly in our, in our lives, then you know, that's going to be problematic. Something I've told my wife that I want to begin to start doing, if you don't have a smartphone, you may not quite understand this, is to not have our phone beside our bed. And I'm saying this is a thought that I want to begin to start doing. It's, it's something that we need to work on. You know, and, and a lot of young people use the excuse of having the phone, phone in as an alarm clock. But alarm clocks are not that expensive. And at the end of the day, there's a lot more you're doing on your phone than just your alarm clock. And it takes away some of that time and, and often turns into being the first thing you look to when you, when you wake up in the morning. And that's not the way it was intended to be. So time, thank God. Get less done, but do the right things. 
some people that are type A stand in line, create buffer zones, be available. Finally, finally, finances, I'll go through this quickly. It is countercultural to be God-fearing and Christ-like in your thoughts about finances. Society will tell you more, 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 more. Here's another credit card. You know, debt is okay. More debt is okay. I mean, you can look at the behavior of long time now for our leadership in the country and just across the board. It's one of those things where it doesn't, it doesn't match, you know, the, the way we're asked to live and to be able to be free to give. So to be free to give, you have to have some room. You, you can't be stretched thin and, and, and breaking at the breaking point all the time. Resisting impulses. One of the sections was on fasting, and I, I looked into that. I was like, what does he mean, fasting? He was actually talking about fasting from shopping. And this is not some of the person that I struggle with, and I know we all, you know, have our different things, but it's one of those things where consumerism has its ugly side in our society, and, and that is something to where, you know, maybe being a little more kingdom-minded could happen if we kind of take some of these kind of specific moments and fast in these ways. So, Chris, if you would look up uh, Philippians 4, or you don't have to look it up, sorry, Philippians 4, verse 8 through 13. Some of you guys know that this has been a challenging um, year for me with the passing of my mother, but I'm, I'm doing well. Um, several in this church have had uh, interesting weeks, um, not all good. But we were not promised a life of roses and, you know, and, and complete ease in every way. Um, this is something to where preaching a sermon on contentment, I'm kind of grateful to be a state fan in some way because, you know, you know that life's not perfect all the time. Um, there are lots of ups and downs. Philippians 4 verse 8 says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, pure, lovely, whatever things are of good report, and this next verse is interesting, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, if, not for sure that there will be, but if, there is. Then meditate or think on these things. So, so often I, I know, you know, we say be thankful, be thankful. Sometimes you have to, to work at being thankful. It's not just going to be something where you have an automatic thing. You, you may have to go for something that is often overlooked. But yet, we know that this is the mindset of Christ. This is how we are to behave and to believe. If you go on, uh, verse 10 says, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. This is Paul talking to the church at Philippi. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Verse 11 says, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Verse 12 says, I know how to be abased, which means to be made low. And I know how to abound or to overflow. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned to be both full and to be happy, to abound and to suffer need. And we all know this verse, but this is, that's the full context of the verse. Verse 13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
So having this mindset that Paul has, we know that whatever life throws at us, we're to thank God. We're to glorify God for what we do have. And to know that through him, anything is possible. And really when we consider, as we were singing this morning, Victor's crown and Jesus, thank you, the, the, the sacrifice of Christ. When we, when we really think about that, not only is anything possible, it's already all completed in the cross. It is complete. And now sometimes in this world, it takes a strong level of faith to truly grab onto that because life hits us with all kind of body blows. But that doesn't mean that that work was any less final, any less all-consuming. God's power is omnipotent, and through the cross, he has invited into that relationship. Several of you, have, uh, several of you know the theme of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is an Old Testament prophet, and the end of the book, Habakkuk 3.17 says, Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. That's six negatives. And yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. In that day, he's saying, I have, I have nothing as far as food or, or work that is produced. But yet he says, I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord is my strength. He will make my, fear, my feet like deer's feet. And he will make me walk on my high heels. If any of you have ever seen a deer walk, it is uh, very easy I know I was sitting out in the backyard one day, and we have a little like four-foot or so fence in our backyard, and there was a deer that was just in the neighbor's yard, and it just hopped over the fence, like you no, know, like like taking a step. And it's like, oh, okay, you know. So so that that passage saying, "Make my feet like deer's feet." Most of us don't desire to have deer's feet, but but that's the context of that passage saying it will make you able to deal with rough terrain able to deal with whatever might be in your path. Four-foot fence, no problem. Just step over. In the sense of the high heels, I've always heard that, that the, the goats that stand on, up on the mountains, they have one leg shorter than the other. That's not true. But, but we, we, you see, you see the, the fact that animals and different creatures were made intentionally for things that we're not designed to be made for. And yet I know from reading the beginning of the book that we were created very special as well. We're created in God's image. And we're meant to have dominion over all these things. We're meant to be chief of all creation. And now, yes, we have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, but that does not mean the original design is any less valid or important. We are yet still designed to be image bearers of Christ. Chris, if you pull up 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. There's four major points that fall in the end of this book. If you're taking notes, you can jot them down. Contentment, simplicity, 
balance, and rest. I think this is one of the best verses here on simplicity. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia, but we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more, that you aspire to live a quiet life, to mind your own business, to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside, that you may lack nothing. If you have a desk job, don't be feeling super convicted right now. And that day, everyone was working with their hands. But the point of this verse 12 is that you may walk properly toward those that are on the outside. When we're talking about rest and simplicity and just being content with the way things are, that's not saying to sit around and do nothing, right? That, that's, not, that's not what we're saying at all, right? So there has to be balance in the way we understand this. It means to live simply and quiet, but to work hard, that those on the outside may see you and that you are walking properly in a way that is God-fearing and honoring to the Lord, and that you may lack nothing, We'll talk about a little bit more about that towards the end. First Timothy writes, uh, or, or Paul writes to First Timothy, or to Timothy rather, in First Timothy chapter six. Now, godliness and contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and clothing, with these shall we be content. Some of you are probably saying, yeah, yeah, I get it, I get it, I get it. (laughs) One more verse, Proverbs 15. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. Now, this was written thousands of years ago. This is one of King Solomon's Proverbs. But there's a lot of wisdom, wisdom in this verse. A lot of times we look around at what others have. We look at, especially now with Facebook, we're constantly seeing what other people have. Right? The grass is almost always greener, and there's a lot of grass, right? With the, the fact that the Internet is such a part of our lives. But regardless of what you have, If you're not content with that, more is not going to help at all. In fact, it will bring great trouble. Because the more you have and are not content with those things, then the more you will want. And it's, it's a very, very dangerous spiral to be in. So I challenge us this morning to be thankful. I challenge us this morning to whatever it is, as we're sitting around our Thanksgiving table, to have the joy of the Lord to encourage our family members, to encourage each other in Christ, to be thankful for the food and clothing that we do have. It's a big deal. All these things come from God, and we have to keep that in perspective. This idea of balance, again, the four things were contentment, simplicity, balance, and rest. This idea of balance is something that's 
often preached in this church, and we talk about it a lot in the, in the office. Balance is huge. Balance literally affects everything you do. It impacts your theology. It impacts your work, home, balance. And it's one of the biggest things when it comes to having that space and that margin, that, those gaps in your life. You can't do everything. I'm one of, the, one of the first people to tell you that I have a hard time saying no to things. I take on projects and I'm really excited to do them. But at the end of the day, just like in a Sunday morning service, you have but just a certain amount of time. And to maintain balance, you have to say no to some things to say yes to some other things. It is just the nature of our lives. And in our lives, when we are so full, if we are trying to do everything, then it's quite possible that we may not do particular things well. There's going to be gaps. There's going to be areas where we fall short. You're not going to be able to make it to every single practice and to church and to make every single homework assignment or every work item. You're not going to be able to love on every single person you meet in the same capacity, right? We're to constantly love on our neighbors and to love God and love ourselves, but we have to be realistic to know where our lives lay out and be able to see how we're budgeting our time, how we're budgeting all of our resources and making sure that we're making the most of what we have. And if you're totally to the limit, there's no balance in that. I want to mention a few things that Christ said in the Sermon on the Mount, and then we're going to spend a few minutes, like hopefully two minutes, in Leviticus. This idea of rest, this idea of contentment and, and living before God is something that's throughout the Bible. It's, it's woven into the very context of the Scripture, and I believe it's because all Scripture is God-breathed and through the very Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God is consistent. There may be diversity in the, in the Holy Scripture as far as genres and all these things, but there is a unity that covers it all. And we see some of these same ideas in the Sermon on the Mount. It says... Obviously, one cannot serve two masters. You can't serve God and mammon. You can't have money and God be your, your ultimate, your idol, right? Church shouldn't be your God. Work shouldn't be your God. There, there, there are idols that we have to be careful we avoid in our lives. At the same time, though, Christ says don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you put on. He says, is life not more than food and body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? I like to play basketball, and I'm glad that I never worried about getting taller because it wouldn't have helped. That's what he's saying. A cubit is a, is a measurement. Worrying is not going to do anything. And in fact, I read somewhere that worry is taking your problems into your own power and control, where prayer reflects those issues back to God. It says, God, I trust you with whatever that is. So whatever it is, don't worry. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow 
They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. That's the modern way of saying what the world seeks. And we see that now, right? That's, that's the concern. It's, it's more, more, more. What can, what can we get? For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient Get this, y'all. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Many of you may really enjoy the song, His Eyes on the Sparrow. The, the context for that song comes from that passage. Also in Luke where it says, Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins, and not one of them is forgotten before God? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. In the context of that song itself, it says, I will sing because I'm happy. And I will sing because I'm free. But the wonderful thing about the song is the context of the happiness is on God. Why is that person happy? Because God watches them. God is aware. God is certainly powerful for anything that may be going on, but the most important thing is that he cares enough to be involved. He cares enough that he would send his son to die for us when we were certainly unworthy, unworthy, unable to even recognize our own problem. Another song is, It is well with my soul. Second verse of that says, Though Satan should strike, those trials should come. Let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. It is well. It is well with my soul. Those are the things that should give us rest. Those are the things that should give us the comfort and peace, and we should intentionally carve out time, preferably first thing in the morning, because if you're like me, you get busy and you're like, where'd the day go? Leviticus 25. And actually, if you just go ahead and go to Leviticus 19, Kristen, um, don't put it up quite yet. This idea of rest is something that's in Scripture from the very beginning, and most of you know the, this passage, so I won't go into the detail, but this idea of the Sabbath, the idea of the Shemitah, Jubilee, these were, these were concepts from the very beginning of time that said, okay, rest is good for God. It certainly must be good for us. If God chose to create the world and then rest, that is the model to follow. We are not above God and if we're not above God, 
we should certainly not think that we have any less room or capacity than he does. And if God needs rest, we need rest as well. This idea of the Sabbath and Jubilees was in the old scripture, and, and it's not something that is, is done today for um, a variety of reasons, but it was this idea that every seventh year was what was called the Shemitah year, and, and the ground would have to lay bare. Farmers could farm, they could do all these things all the years, and then on the seventh year, the ground needs to rest. And the concept is like one of the tithes to say that the ground will produce more in the six years when the seventh year is handled appropriately. In the same way we look at the 90 being much more usable in our lives if we give the 10 to God. This idea of the Jubilee year was after seven periods of seven years, you have the 50th year of Jubilee. And in that day, you had slaves and property and all these things that was just kind of set free and started over. Everything goes back to zero. Which is a neat concept, right? It's something that society would probably be like, just totally discombobulated if, if, if we started going back to that. But there's a reason those kind of things were set up. Right? There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a purpose behind it. Just because God's a God of order, God is a God of rest. And when we are created with this need for rest, and we don't, we begin operating outside of our created order. We all are part of this fallen sin world, and we're all in some way breaking down. The older older you get, things just break down. But when you don't rest, that is accelerated because we're operating outside of our created order, totally outside of it. Final thing I want to bring up is actually, in, in some way, um, Thanksgiving themed. Kristen, if you would put up the first picture of the turkey that I never put up with the Halloween thing. There's two turkeys, and one says to the other, How long are you going to be wearing that Halloween costume? The other one's response says, till you're a Tupperware full of leftovers in the fridge. <laughs> which is actually the first one I found, which is the reason I did all that. Pretty awesome. If you're like us, if, if you're most families on Thanksgiving, there's going to be some leftovers. How many of you like to eat leftovers? Yeah, about half. That's what I figured. Um, in some way, God is a God of the leftovers. Now, he wants our first, but check this out. If you would pull up Leviticus 19. This is the same chapter where he says, love your neighbor as yourself. We heard that. Okay, Part of the greatest commandment. In the same chapter, part of the Mosaic Law said to, when you reap the harvest of your land, you should not wholly reap in the corners of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest, which means as you're working and you drop something, right, what's the natural thing? In fact, it's something we tell, like, why did you pick that up? You know, that's the natural thing. You pick it up, you dropped it. In that day, it was told you should not drop 
the gleanings and to leave the corners untouched. Next verse says, you should not glean your vineyard and go over every single grape in your vineyard. But you should leave them for the poor and the stranger. Or some passages say the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. So this is a concept that is very neighborly, right? This is the way God works. Like I said, we're, we're all maxed out, as you would say. But the God behind the spirit of this verse, the reason this verse would have been originally written, is the same God that says, test me in Malachi. We know you should not test the Lord your God, but he does say in Malachi, try me and see if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing there will not be room enough to receive in regard to the tithe. We know the 23rd Psalm, Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In that passage it says, yes, you're preparing me a table with me in the presence of my enemies, and yet you anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Those of you that know the story of the 4,000 and the 5,000 that were fed, the multitudes that were fed. What happened at the end? There were leftovers. God didn't just meet the need, but there were leftovers. And so that's how we're to have this margin in our lives. We're to have room. We're to have leftover room to love God, to love those around us. And it shouldn't always have to be within the context of a set schedule. Those that passed by the Good Samaritan, that wasn't on their schedule. Or not passed by, but they passed by who eventually the Good Samaritan went to, went to stop and see. The Good Samaritan had margin and the other ones did not. Chances are they were good people. They were, they were people that probably would have liked to stop and help, but they had something better to do. So I challenge you this morning, it's one thing to fight to stay awake in a sermon or to nod or, you know, to, to agree here in the Sunday morning context. But I challenge you this week, as you have some time at home, to intentionally look at your lives and see, how am I spending my time? How am I spending my resources? Where do I have the gaps? And if some things need to be rearranged, if, if, if you need to call some people and say, you know what, this is just not going to work out like it has, that's okay. Because we, we all need to be able to assess consistently and see where we're at. God is certainly a God that through we can do all things, but that doesn't mean that each one of us does everything. There has to be balance in how we look at it. As Matt and the praise team comes and plays softly. This morning we've talked about rest. We've talked about contentment, thankfulness, having this right disposition towards God and in our lives. But all of this flows out of the cross. It flows out of what God has already done. 
this morning, if, if you have taken down some, some practical ideas, if you've learned something tangible out of this message and you walk out of here and you don't understand the depth and really more importantly than the depth, the urgency of the gospel. And to know that this Jesus that we're talking about and that I keep referring to is the living God. The, at the end of the day, the only truly majorly important thing that we're going to come across on any given week. I mean, it it is that fact, the gospel itself, is the crux of everything we do. And eventually I'm going to ask us if we'll come forward and and we're going to sing, Jesus, thank you. But if you would, first, please bow your heads. This morning, if you are maybe the worst thing would be to just to be indifferent. But if you know that your heart's not where it needs to be before God, I challenge you to truly consider this moment as the precious opportunity that it is. Each of us are not promised tomorrow. Each of us are living amongst each other as as if this life were a vapor. Perhaps it's not that you're indifferent. Perhaps that you have read some things and, and you're having trouble questioning whether or not heaven, hell, whether certain things are real, whether God is someone who really cares about us because of all the things that are in the world that you just can't wrap your mind around. Romans said, Romans chapter 1 says that from the creation of the world, invisible attributes of God are clearly seen. Being understood by things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead so that each and every one are without excuse. It's a powerful chapter. It talks about how Men and women do not glorify God, who's the creator, but instead consider themselves as the creature or those around them that they have made to be gods. These creatures become the creator in these people's minds. And there's such a strong delusion. We see this in the world today. There's a strong deception that that is the way it was intended to be. And if you are firmly confident in where you're going to spend eternity, praise God. And I challenge you to pray for someone in this time that you know may not be able to say those things. And yet if you yourself are not one that considers yourself to be able to say, I know that I know that I'm in Christ and Christ is in me. Then, as you have your eyes closed and you're reflecting on your life, that you would recognize first 
all the places where we fall short. And each and every one of us certainly fall short. To recognize our need for God. To confess and say, Lord, I'm going to take you, Lord, in some ways at face value. As, as a child would, as a childlike faith to say, God, if you're who you say you are, I trust you and I accept what you did on the cross for me. Thank you, Lord, for being above anything and everything. You are the originator of all that has ever been, all that is, and all that will be. There's nothing outside of you, nothing before or after you. You are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. When you accept Christ, confess him with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is the Lord and that he has died for you and yet has risen from the dead, you are set for eternal life. And you are supposed to walk in that eternal blessing now. Not when we get there. Not when the mortgage is paid off or I get out of debt. Or not when somebody graduates and goes to wherever. It's not about that. It's not when you turn 20. It's now. Today is the day of salvation. Lord, I pray for each and every one, God, who may be wrestling this morning. I pray, Lord, that there would be space, that there would be margin, there would be gaps, Lord, in their life, that they would hear, Lord, the still, small voice that's calling to them. God, for some, it takes a Damascus Road moment. It takes being knocked off your horse and for God giving you a crucial ultimatum that you can't turn down. God, I pray it doesn't take that for us. I pray that we can hear the invitation, Lord, that you are giving to us. We thank you for it, God. We thank you for what you have done for us, God, that you love us. God, that you are the definition of love, and without you, Lord, we don't even know what love means. Thank you, God, for calling us as the body of Christ, collectively your bride. Lord, and that holy marriage is only a reflection of your relationship with us. We thank you for that. God, we ask, Lord, God, that as we hear your voice, recognize our need, Lord, that we would humbly, Lord, bow before you and accept your way in our life. We thank you for it, God. We give you glory. We give you honor. We give you praise. Blessed are you, Lord, God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. We thank you, God. We worship you today. And thank you, Lord, for accepting us to be co-heirs with you 
to be able to worship you, Lord, as your family, as your body today, Lord, and yet one day in your heavenly kingdom when you come back and set everything right. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name.